This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Tane. And I'm Aid, and this is Alter Call, a Married at First Sight podcast. Hi, everybody. We had the opportunity to speak to Dr. Jessica Griffin and Dr. Pepper Schwartz from the show Married at First Sight about their new book coming out called Relationship Rx, Prescriptions for Lasting Love and Deeper Connections. We had a nice conversation with them about the book and the conversation continues on our Patreon where we asked them a little bit more questions about maps. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Alter Call, a Married at First Sight podcast. And today we have a very special episode for you. Remember we mentioned last week that we were working on a surprise? Well, this is it. Today we will be speaking with two people that you definitely know, Dr. Pepper Schwartz and Dr. Jessica Griffin. We are super excited to have them here with us today. And we're going to tell you a little bit about them. Um, because while we've been watching them on mass for a long time, they've been doing a lot of stuff. <laughs> Dr. Jessica Griffin is a clinical and forensic psychologist with a specialty in trauma and relationships. She is an associate professor of psychiatry and pediatrics at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. We all know her as a former expert on Lifetime's Married at First Sight. She's received numerous awards for her work in the field and has been featured on NPR and other notable media outlets. She's also the CEO of Love Builder, a relationship company providing online courses to couples, singles, and parents. And Dr. Pepper Schwartz is a sexologist and sociologist and professor at the University of Washington. She's the author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, a TED Talk presenter. You may also know her as the no-nonsense taking expert on Lifetime TV's number one rated Married at First Sight. Dr. Pepper is a frequent speaker at conferences on marriage and sex across the globe. She's also the recipient of multiple awards for her work in the field and advisor in the University of Minnesota Medical Schools program, where they've created an endowed professorship in her name, the Pepper Schwartz Professorship on Sexuality and Lifecycle Aging. Dr. Pepper has made multiple appearances on Good Morning America, Oprah, and many others. So today we're going to be talking to Dr. Pepper and Dr. Jessica about their new book, Relationship Rx, Prescriptions for Lasting Love and Deeper Connections. So welcome to Dr. Pepper and Dr. Jessica. Thank you for speaking for us today. And we would love to know how you ended up in your respective fields and what keeps you at it. Well, oh gosh. (laughs) Um, I think what, what happened to me was a sort of a historical event. Um, I went to graduate school at Yale and, um, it was, there's, there were no undergraduate women there at the time. Um, and so it gave me a consciousness that I might not have had, um, just about gender, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, all the various kinds of, uh, you know, mini and maxi insults there were of the time about what women could and couldn't do. And I was also there um, when the first year of undergraduate women was admitted. And there was a human sexuality course taught for those new people on campus by a husband and wife group called the Sorrells. And uh, I looked at all the material they were assigned and I went, oh my gosh, you know, all of these are suppositions, things that people say or so. But, you know, I was being trained in the graduate school there as a sociologist. I wanted proof. I wanted research. And I realized there wasn't much that a lot of it was just, you know, what somebody thought, you know, like you, it would be mm-hmm. bad to have a baby after 25. Well, <laughs> they said that, you know, I mean, 
<laughs> things like that. And I go, look, like, who's saying this for what, what data, right? Or, you know, other things about sex and relationships, et cetera, you know, full of prejudice. So that's what motivated me. Like, oh, no, I, how can I say I don't think this is true if I don't have the data to prove it? And so that's how yeah. I went this direction. It's quite the story, Pepper. Uh, <laughs> so thank Tina Nade for having us on. I'll try to answer this quickly. Um, I knew I wanted to be a psychologist when I was nine years old. I have a diary oh. uh, upstairs when I was a little girl where I was writing about, about that. I've always been interested in relationships and I've been one of those people. And then there are many of us out there where you are the person in line in the grocery store that people start telling their life story to. Um, <laughs> And I've always liked that. I love people. My favorite job of all time was a, a coffee shop barista before Starbucks was like a big deal. Um, and a part of that was just being able to talk to people every day and hear their stories and their um, their narratives about their own lives. And so that really brought me to the field. However, at some point I decided that might not make enough money, so I should probably go to law school. So I was in a pre-law program um, in college, and, but I was studying psychology and uh, double majoring in psychology and philosophy. And I um, had a psychology professor who suggests, why, why do you want to go to law school? And I couldn't, I, there was no good answer I could come up with. And then that day I decided I would apply to um, graduate schools in psychology and uh, that's what I did. And I ended up continuing that path. Very impressive by both of you. Very inspirational too. So pretty cool. So Dr. Jessica, what series of events led to this collaboration of writing this book? Whose idea was it? How did we get here? Such a great, great question. And this collaboration came I think over time, I mean, Pepper and I had talked about wanting to do a book, wanting to do one in the context of Married at First Sight. Um, but over many late nights and early morning, the late night drinks or early morning coffees, we were talking about, you know, gee, wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, write down the exercises that we have, you know, shared with couples, the things that we've learned over time, so that there are things that, you know, any couple could do to strengthen their relationship. You don't have to be in a crisis, you know, just like we take vitamins for our bodies to be healthy. There are things that we could do every day in life and in love to really strengthen our, our relationships. And so without having to go on a reality TV show to, to do that. And it was, it was, I think one, um, wanting to do this book together to I, me leaving the show. One of the things that I really miss about the television platform is being able to connect with people. I wouldn't in the, in the academic setting that I'm in or the trauma programs that I run, you know, people who aren't seeing a mental health provider necessarily, but mm -hmm. might turn on their TV show and maybe there's something that they could benefit from. My favorite, one of my favorite things about doing television was getting emails from people who say, Hey, I tried this thing that you recommended or what you said about trauma really resonated with me. And I've decided to go back and, and do my own you know, work and, and therapy on that. Those, that is like why I loved doing TV. And so this is just a different format, a different way we can um, continue to work together. And it was really fun to be able to do this with Pepper. Aww. I don't know, Pepper, if you'd have anything more to add, but well, I think I would just add the personal things that, you know, we live on different coasts and we've been always good friends almost from the very moment we met. And um, I thought, well, let's do this book because it helps, you know, um, support the friendship, you know, so that we, we make sure that we, we, we see each other and we talk and we create. Um, so it was partly, you know, because I wanted to work Jessica because of what she knows, but also who she is. Oh, I think it's also nice to see that the camaraderie is just not, it wasn't just TV, that the friendship continued outside of TV. Yeah. I mean, two of my, my biggest takeaways from, from the show are my relationship and friendships with um, Callie and Pepper. Um, we're all really close. That's nice. Well, you know, a lot of friendship, it starts with respect. And I really mm. respect both Cal and Jessica um, and, and, and many of the people I've worked with for sure. Um, and then, you know, you become interdependent and that, brings you, <laughs> you know, and, and, and then, so friendship is, you know, that's the best foundation for all of that. And then yeah. friendship is something that I, and I know Jessica is the same way. It's really high on my priority list of things that make me feel happy in life. And so mm -hmm. I'm going to work to make sure those friendships are supported and, 
And also, I should also say that in Jessica and I are from different disciplines, and I learn a lot from Jessica, and I, you know, hope she learned something from me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so, it's also expansive that way. You feel like you're enriched by another person's training and experience. Okay, awesome. So now that you're done with the first book, um, now I'm like, well, where's the sequel? Are you working on a sequel? Because how can you keep on talking to each other? <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll find a way. I mean, we're trying to figure out a lot of irons in the fire. We'll, we will find a we will find a way. There'll be we'll, more projects coming by here. Yes. Okay, we'll, we'll be on the lookout. So, so the book is about prescriptions for relationships or prescriptions for situations that people are having in their relationships. Um, and I believe that most people who counsel married people kind of go in with the philosophy that you're going to stay married. That's the goal here. That's why you've come to me for your for your help. But when you are presented with a couple, do you ever think to yourself, yeah, no, they should just not save themselves? Um, yes. So there are times in which, and you all know I can be pretty direct, um, in which it is clear that there is should that this couple should not be together and they shouldn't proceed and that would be in instances where it's become abusive there's been violence in the in the relationship um or the power differential is just so off and and they've tried interventions and it's just not working we actually allude to a couple we there was a couple times we sort of break the fourth wall um in our book and say in our opinion this is not a couple that should move forward and, and save this marriage. So as much as we are about preserving marriages and preserving relationships, it's, it's about preserving healthy ones. And there are going to be times where it's just not going to work out. And um, sometimes it can be helpful if a professional can point that out too. I don't know, Pepper, if you would feel differently or. Oh, ditto, multiple dittos. Um, I, you know, I, I think when you're giving advice, you want to be an honest broker. You um, are not there for, particularly in couple therapy, you're not there for one person or the other. You're looking at the marriage, and um, but you're very aware of differences in satisfaction or treatment. And um, if you feel, come to it from your expertise, that somebody is in danger emotionally in terms of their future, and that, you know, there's psychological danger as well as physical danger. Um, you can't professionally in, in, um, in, any, in any ethical sense, you know, not try and get that person to understand what is not in their best interests. Um, mm -hmm. And so therefore, in, you know, it shifts from preserving the marriage to making the person um, individual, whoever that happens to be, or for that matter, both of them understand that, you know, the things that they're searching for um, will never be achieved in this relationship. And it, it, you know, obviously everybody's in the fix it mode. So you come to that um, reluctantly, but if you come to that, then you have to deal with it. So one of the examples in the book, Mac and Pamela, it was like a case of severe verbal abuse. And you actually included the domestic violence hotline uh, in the book. Uh, but you sort of said that if he did X, Y, Z things, those are the only circumstances under which she should consider staying in the marriage. But the it didn't resolve with you saying specifically they should break up. So is that sort of like a way to get around it when you can't convince someone to leave their partner? Then you say, well, here's the circumstances under which you should stay and unlikely they're going to reach those circumstances. So hopefully they'll come to the conclusion to leave by themselves. Yeah. I mean, I'll let, I'll let, um, I'll let Jessica go deeper on this, but, but, but basically um, that's, that's not just an excuse to help them come to the point because after all it's their lives, they have to make those decisions. You know, um, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, uh, there are circumstances under which a, a therapist is required to call in uh, either medical or legal help. There are, there are those, but under the circumstances that don't fit that, um, uh, you, you need someone to come to that opinion with you, um, or at least understand what the bare level of the 
basic level of treatment, their own treatment should be, you know, and I think what's really frustrating, I can remember somebody, I'm not going to name names from the show, where this woman was being treated very badly, in our opinion. Um, and yet she kept coming back to the marriage because she she had a deep religious belief in this case that that the marriage should never be broken up and that you know you're you you suffer what you have to suffer um to fulfill the vows you made uh, before god and you know when you're in a situation like that um that person's deep religious faith is their own and we can't argue with that what we can do though is give her the information about why in this case um basic circumstances of of emotional and personal treatment were not the minimal was not being met and that the you know what would have to be done to 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 change that and try to give them as much information as possible to come to that conclusion themselves um because because we're already there saying like no we don't think this but there's competitive things that the person believes and owns and you have to respect that and try and just help them understand that there might be exceptions to their rule that 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 would not even in their their religion be something that their religion would countenance so it's a tough one it's a tough one when you're in some in a situation where you clearly see these minimal conditions are not being met and that person does not and so you're trying to give them as much information and support as possible because they will ultimately be responsible and not you you can't you can't make people do things they have to decide to do them we get a lot of credit we used to get a lot of criticism sometimes in the show where somebody you know the viewers would look at somebody and say you know she should leave him or he should leave her or whatever and why didn't you break it up and why didn't you make them do that and you know we no, these are grown-ups. See, they have to make their own decisions. All we can do is give them support and information. Okay. It's always a shock to us how uh, invested people can be. You know, if you've come to a marriage counselor and you've been together for a while, it kind of makes sense. But when you've been married at first sight and you've known this person for six weeks and it's not going well, we're like, why are you still here? <laughs> what is keeping you here? <laughs> Next, Jessica, did you have something to add? I think back to that, um, the question or the, the discussion around the, the domestic violence. Mm -hmm. in, in writing the book, we really tried to balance and be careful about knowing that when people are picking up the book, they're going to be at different places in their relationships. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who might be in a questionably abusive relationship or a clearly abusive relationship, you know, from my, I do a lot of work around advocacy for women or, or people who are in um, abusive relationships and um, with domestic violence and partner violence, but know that, you know, it's an average of up to seven times of trying to leave before they leave. And so they may be early on and not knowing, you know, what to do. So it was really important to me that we were able to include resources that even if you're not ready to leave today, here's the things we would suggest at a minimum that this person would need to do in order to even consider this. Yeah. And here's a way to start educating yourself more about, about violence. Of course, it's not a book about domestic violence, but I, yeah. I really felt like we couldn't speak to couples without at least addressing that. And it's a, very much at the surface level in the, this book. It's not a book about trauma or um, domestic violence, but we know that there are couples in all different spaces and, um, and there may be people who might not be in the healthiest relationship, but they're not sure what to do next. Yeah. So we tried to just throw resources out there and the way we structured the book in sort of that vitamins, medicine, CPR format, um, tried to address um, some of the different phases that couples might be in. And I can talk more about the way we structured the book too. Okay. Yeah. That was one of the things that I actually liked about it because it's like some, for some people it might be too extreme and they're in level one, level two. So it's kind of good having the couples and also like assigning actual couples that you can put a name to and you can relate as you see fit. Um, one of the prescriptions that you mentioned in the book was the solved theory. And I was wondering if you could talk more about that and let us know why it's a good method. Sure. So the solve technique. So this is something borrowed from um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I, I just organized it structured in a way that's easier for our reader okay. in this acronym solved. And 
I'm going to have to pull it out to refresh my memory because I don't have it memorized what each each uh, letter means here. Um, but I'll just talk about it first and then I'll re refer to it. But the idea is that sometimes couples get so stuck on a problem that they feel overwhelmed. They feel stuck. The problem feels too big. And so one of the things, a strategy that you can use is a, using a problem solving worksheet. One of the strategies you can use is a problem solving worksheet, like the solved worksheet that we came up with for our couples. And what you do is it just helps you sort of talk through the problem, come up with options, work together, see, well, what option might make the most sense for us? And then let's try something out together and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. We can come back to trying out other options, but doing a problem solving strategy, again, it's borrowed from cognitive behavioral therapy, but it's something that couples can do. They can get literally on the same page about what that problem is. And the idea is not just to solve the problem, but to help them feel less overwhelmed or less stuck in that problem. So now I'm going to open up the page to the solved. <laughs> if so it helps, um, I have it. Do you? Yeah. I can say that. Like, state outline lists the solutions and what i liked about this was like even if it's a bad idea it says just put it out there and then you can figure it out after but just throw it out there and don't keep anything out um verbalize it say it out loud execute and then determine what solution works best and that's the solved on there so yeah that was one of the things i was taking notes i'm married so i'm taking notes <laughs> on there so i was that's that's like the good stuff for me. Like when people actually, when our, I'll share this little story. When our copy editor was reading the book, the mm -hmm. best compliment we got, and it made me feel so good about all the work Pepper and I've done is the copy editor said, oh my gosh, I'm trying these things with my husband. This is great. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. And that just was amazing, um, which was like the, the whole goal of why we wanted to do this in the first place, besides being able to get together and have really nice dinner. <laughs> yeah. And th I think the other part too is like your book kind of is a mirror because I was seeing myself. I was like, oh no, these are things I do. I shouldn't do. So. <laughs> it's I appreciate Tanya saying that. I, the other thing we didn't mention, Pepper and I also you know, also wrote about it from our own personal experience. Mm. Both have been married in the past. Both are mar married now. Um, we've both gone through divorces and been single. And so no, we've, a lot of things were things that we were frustrated about in our own marriages and, mm. and didn't necessarily get right. And I think it's really important that we're also vulnerable in that way, that we're human beings too. And we're not just the experts coming in to tell you, but we've tried mm. out all of the exercises ourselves. Um, and know you know how they can go go well or, or not so great yeah and then, and i i would just add to that that um i think we all have recognition in almost every chapter of things that you did or do that you still want to work on and and one thing i liked about the level of uh the three levels of talking about things um was that sometimes people don't recognize how extreme their situation really is mm. so that or how fixable it really is. So to try and locate it with, you know, this is a vitamin, we can give you kind of some pretty simple ways of addressing this and fixing it right away. And implied, of course, is so it doesn't get to a worse level. Then the second thing is, okay, now you've got something serious, um, real serious, and here's what it's gonna take, um, but it, you can do it. But I think it's also important when we, when we get to the CPR uh, level is that we meet a lot of people who don't actually realize how badly it is how bad it is they they kind of get used to something that's really bad and so what we're trying to help is the kind of things we've learned too whether through people or through our own lives you know where you are with the problem and and at what point you might need intervention by a third party so if you're in the cpr section can you still take practices or recommendations from the book or do you think at that level you have to have a third party involved at that point both and I think that once you get to the CPR level, we do make suggestions on how to involve professionals, the kinds of professionals to involve. We do give some exercises in the CPR level um, to sort of as a stopgap until they are working with a professional. But I think once you're working with a professional, a lot of the exercises, as much as like basic communication strategies could be helpful to start to incorporate. So it doesn't mean if, if you are at that level, um, it doesn't mean that the other vitamins or medicine won't be helpful 
but I would do that in addition to working with professionals. And so you'll see in the book that we spend more time on the mild and moderate struggles that couples are having vitamins and medicine level and less on the CPR um, because we can't do couples that are in that severe distress. I think the service that we would want to, for example, around the issues related to domestic violence, we were talking about earlier. I would want to do a whole book on that. (laughs) There, Pepper. There There you go. (laughs) Happily, it's more fun to work on a book where you can offer things that will help most people. (laughs) So the idea that, you know, we, we're giving exercises, et cetera. So, I mean, let me give you an example. So one of the, one of the, um, uh, chapters is on conflict. Um, and in each level of couple, there is a real issue. You know, they, they're, um, either not solving problems well, or in, in another level, they're, you know, they're yelling and they're kind of abusive in what they say. But the third level where you get is when people are contemptuous of each other and they're undermining each other all the time with, and then, then you're now in a more serious situation where you, 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 you've already usually gone through all the, the, the bad actor issues of the first two levels. And now you're at something where, you know, you're undermining somebody's, um, sense of self in a massive way. And you're, um, you, you're showing a lack of respect and maybe doing that in public. And, and it's a point where, okay, you know, if this is you and you have, you, you know, this will give you some recognition, but you may not know how serious it's become. And so just by even helping someone identify that they're at a much more serious level than they may have thought, um, mm-hmm. you're, you're giving them some help right there, in my opinion. Yeah. And I hope it just yes. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll be right back. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you make can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. Summer is coming and it is time for all of us to go on vacation. You can use the money you earn from Earn In to buy a new bathing suit or some new clothes for your fun summer vacation. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in AltaCall on the podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. That's AltaCall on the podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max, see earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Ladies, you know that vicious week before your period where you feel like you want to crawl out of your skin, you feel a little bit down or off, and those cravings when you feel like you can eat anything in sight? Well, there's a solution for that. Now it's easier to manage your PMS with estrogen control. You have to try Hormone Harmony. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality. And it shows. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ALTERCALLMAFS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code A-L-T-A-R-C-A-L-L-M-A-F-S for 15% off today. Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by 
by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. And we're back. I'm a person who always wants to know the end of the story. So some of the real-life couples that you had in your book, I'm like, did they stay together? Um, specifically, Margot and Jack. Um, he had the gambling issue from the money section. Did that marriage survive? That one did. So this was an example of a couple that I think went through, you know, worked with professionals, did the, did the work, but that couple did. And then Mac and Pamela were my second couple. I was like, did they? No. Oh. I think that I was think for the best. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> I was weird. hoping that was your answer. Yeah, so too. Okay. I sometimes, um, something else I sometimes was... forget which couple you're talking about because we changed all the yeah. names. We put in a few details um, that are not identifiable to make sure that yeah. this couple doesn't recognize themselves immediately <laughs> um, because we, we try and protect identity. So sometimes I think, like, yeah. well, who are they really? Yeah. So, yeah. It's been redacted in a number of ways. Um, and the, but, but there are like 30 something couples that you need in the, in the book. So it is hard to yeah. straight. How long did you work with most of those couples? What was your average length? They vary a lot. Um, and so, you know, some of them would have been um, over a shorter period of time where we only had access to them or one of us only had access to them for X number of visits. And others were, in particular uh, Jessica's case, long-term uh, clients that this happened over a very long period of time. So um, I, I would just say they vary a lot in, in length and input. Yeah, I think if I were to just take a stab at that, um, for couples who were more the vitamins level, it's going to be less number of, of sessions that we'd be spending together. You know, I do a couple's coaching, um, and it's not even like deep couples therapy, but just coaching with couples that are aware. I'll meet with couples three times, and that, that, that's it. They've got the tools. They're good to go, and we might do a check-in. Um, and then there are other times where I've worked with people for years, and so. It, but it really, those would tend to be more on the farther end of the the spectrum so is the goal of marriage counseling to graduate from marriage counseling just coming for a tune-up every now and then after that i love the idea of a tune-up yes i think everybody i mean everybody can benefit from you know working on themselves whether that be individually or or as a couple you know having some sort of marriage checkup along the way or relationship checkup yeah and sometimes people have come to me i don't do long-term therapy i do um you know, I guide people, I give them advice. I, um, I'm, I'm not a clinician in the same way that Jessica is, but I've had couples come to me. Can we do some premarital, uh, conversation about, you know, who we are and what are our issues and are we ready and stuff like that. And those are really great because, um, usually not always, but usually you're just helping guide them in the kinds of things they should be able to talk about, give them the tools about how to talk about things constructively, uh, calm some of their fears, or um, with one or two exceptions, I would say, say, you know, these are major things that you have to decide before you get married because the, the decision's not gonna get any easier after that and they're life-changing issues. Um, you know, arguments like what religion they're gonna raise their children in and things that, you know, they feel deeply strongly in they're both very much at, against the other persons they find with each other. But, you know, when it comes to the kids, you know, you're, you're seeing major issues and you go like, really, this needs to be solved before you get married. If, if yeah. you're intending to have kids right away and you can't, you know, agree on, you have a huge gap on what kind of like one of them wants them in, in Catholic school. The other one doesn't believe in God and believes that all of that is, you know, a negative input to the child, they, they need to get that together before they make a lifetime commitment, things like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, one of the things that was mentioned in the book was attachment theories. 
Um, personally, I moved from having an anxious attachment theory to secure attachment with my husband now. And I think um, you mentioned in the book that it's possible for people's attachment style to change. My question is, do you think it changes with partners or is it possible to change your your style within the same partner, give or take, like say someone was with someone and they were maybe verbally abusive or they cheated? Is it possible to turn things around or does that linger and you stay in that anxious style or can you move to secure from that with the same partner? Great question, Tane. Um, so attachment, so I'll just break it down what we mean, but when we're talking about attachment styles, so you can have either secure attachment style or an insecure attachment style. And when you have an insecure attachment style, it can fall into a couple categories. One is an anxious attachment style where you're constantly worried about the other person. Are they going to stay with you? Do they love me? Are they cheating on me? Um, there's avoidant attachment style where these are people who have a harder time connecting, where they may feel more uncomfortable with closeness, um, with physical or uh, emotional affection. Um, and then there's a, a very small percentage that fall in this disorganized attachment style where um, they're a little bit of everything. Most of us, and this grew out of a lot of research on monkeys and babies, um, but now they followed it into adults and romantic attachment. Mm -hmm. And most of us have a primary attachment style in our relationships, um, whether that be an anxious attachment style um, or avoidant or secure attachment style. So the good news is if you have, let's say, Tane, you have an, avoid, an anxious attachment style, the good news is, is that the research has showed us that if you have an anxious attachment style, you can actually improve in the context of a relationship with a partner who has a secure attachment style. Mm. It may be, so both of the things you said were right. You can change your attachment style, primary attachment style, in the context of a healthy relationship with someone who's securely attached. You can also find that attachment style changing within that same relationship based on maybe the other person, where they're at, or life stressors. So you may find out that when you're under, maybe you've experienced this yourself, when you're under a lot more stress, you tend to revert back to more of an anxious attachment style mm -hmm. where you're like, man, why am I getting jealous again or weirding <laughs> out about his phone when I thought I was over that? But yeah. take a look around you and see like what other stresses are going on in your life. Is there something that sort of brought that back up for you again? But the good news is, is that that attachment style can change um, in the context of a healthy relationship with a securely attached partner. Okay. You know, I totally agree with Jessica. Um, I have to say that there's a part, there's schools of psychology that believe, you know, whatever happened with you and your mother or your early attachment style, it's there forever. And, and there's a whole group of people who go that way. Um, Jessica doesn't. And as a social psychologist, more sociologist, I totally see what you're talking about, where if you get the right partner, you know, none of the triggers um, are, are present and, and they, they, they kind of go away. And yes, if stress comes back in, there might be a go-to thing, but it's, you know, life experience and the person you're with really, really matters. And so I, I often think it's important for people to say, you know, is this really my attachment style or am I with somebody who is giving me every reason to feel the way I do and that the problem is the partner and not that being my major go-to self. Hmm. I think that distinction is important to be able to recognize that. Okay. Um, I guess shifting gears a little bit, I think Dr. Jessica answered this earlier, but who asked the question again, what drew both of you to the show? The first time you heard it, was it like, this is insane? Like, this is, <laughs> but, well, did you think, wow, this is intriguing? What was your thought process? What got you here? There, sorry. I'll let the OG start that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, you know, first of all, I got this call saying, would I be interested in a, a show on marriage? And I said, yeah, tell me about it. And they said, well, no, <laughs> let's <laughs> about how you see the world. And then if we like you and you like us, we'll tell you what it's about. So I had a, a, a really good conversation with someone. I can't remember who. And I always say I didn't take it very seriously. Um, and, you know, and I know that because I didn't put on makeup for the interview. I just, you know, like, you know, okay, we just have a good time. 
And a month later, I get this call, we want you. And I'm going like, for what? You know, and they say, well, <laughs> do a, a non-disclosure and you can take a look at this program that was done first in Denmark um, and mm-hmm. see what you think. And so I get the program and it is about, of course, the whole thesis is um, we're going to take people who haven't been able to get married by themselves, who really want to get married. And we're going to start with the major commitment for which for some people is a major religious and, and ethical commitment um, of marriage and see if that parenthesis changes the way people act and maybe changes their likelihood for success. And I thought that was a stunning concept. I did think it was a little bit, I was already, I was wondering if anybody would do it, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, I'm not used to it now, but in the beginning I'm going like, who's yeah. going to do this? Um, but I liked it intellectually and emotionally it made sense to me, which was, you know, if you've really committed in a major way, and of course this happens around the globes in different societies, will you be a different person within that? Would it give you the hope and strength and fortitude to do what marriage requires, which is a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. and also the fact that it would be based on social science, psychology, psychiatry, sociology, as opposed to what parents wanted for their kid um, or the culture that demanded X, Y, and Z. So it was just intriguing enough to me to say, well, let's see if anybody will do this and let's see how it really works. And so, yeah, I got really intrigued. Did you think it'll last 16 seasons? <laughs> no, no, I wasn't sure it season. You know, I mean, but, but that's been a privilege really because I've learned so much oh my goodness it's just been so professionally and personally enriching so you know that's that's my story Dr. Jessica what's your point of view seeing as you had some seasons I guess before you were asked so was it still a crazy concept to you or so yeah so getting married at first sight was a crazy concept to me (laughs) and I was very much intellectually intrigued by it. And also I love love. So the idea of being able to like help people with that was uh, really um, drew me in. My though entryway into television was a little bit different. Um, I was traveling on the West Coast for a professional conference mm-hmm. and I had no intention of ever getting into television. I was had my job at university and I was at that point, single mom of three young children. And so I was at a professional conference. I'd been dating a guy who had a good friend in the entertainment industry. And we went to dinner one night and we were chatting about what I do. And he was like, Jess, would you ever do television? And I said, no way. (laughs) Um, And so he kept bugging me and kept bugging me and kept bugging me. And then finally I'm like, okay, how do I make you stop? He's like, just do one Skype interview, just do an audition over Skype. That's all I'm asking. It's a fun story. You can tell your kids. So he knew my weakness. So (laughs) I put my kids to bed and did the Skype interview. And then they said, Hey, that was great. Can you do it again? Put on a little more lipstick and maybe (laughs) fine because you're too formal. So I, I did it. And that was like on a Thursday. And then two days later, I got the call that they wanted me to do this show, Seven Year Switch, um, which was another docu-series about relationships, but couples who were married and and deciding whether or not they need to stay together. And then they trade spouses, not with the idea that you're sleeping with the other person, um, but to see what it would be like with the grass is greener on the other side. And so I did that for a few seasons and then got a call, hey, would you do Married at First Sight? And I was like, what is this concept? But I was already doing this other wild concept. And that was really cool to see people actually like do the work and their relationships. And it was just a fun way to blend what I do professionally with this other um, arena that was totally new to me. I mean, when I got into TV, I didn't own a headshot. They had to take a <sighs> My Facebook profile picture was me and my youngest boy at the time, and they had to crop out my baby's face. <laughs> so it, I learned a lot um, over over the years, but it was one of the the best things I've ever done. Um, was was that my television experience, and um, I will always be grateful for that. And maybe someday go back to it. So, Dr. Jessica, I have to ask. Because there had been seasons on, did you watch some seasons before 
you started taping the show? So I like speed dated because remember I had 48 hours. I signed a thing. I was getting on a plane after signing the thing. And so like 48 hours. And so I was speed binging like the two seasons before just to get a sense of what it was about. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't, I didn't watch all the seasons. So I wasn't, which I think was actually good and bad because I was coming in with sort of this fresh perspective and just what I know about couples and relationships. And, and I had a lot of, I had a lot of thoughts around different kinds of test instruments. I really wanted to make sure we were measuring adult attachment styles. I thought that was really important to add Mm -hmm. to um, the matchmaking component of the work. I think that's something that we can't underestimate when those, when you've got an anxious attachment style and you're paired with an avoidant, that's like a recipe for disaster. And there have been a number of couples where that's been the case. Um, And the avoidant person just looks like a jerk and the anxious person looks like, why are you so needy? Uh, (laughs) So I really felt it was important to add that in addition to the other personality testing and things like that, that happen as part of that, um, not recruitment process, the onboarding, the matchmaking process. Matchmaking. (laughs) How do you measure attachment styles? And then how much do you think people lie to you? Because the outcome is not matching the testing. People are going to lie. I think, Pepper, jump in here. I don't want to misspeak, but I think one of the pros and cons about Married at First Sight is the show has gotten so successful. Mm -hmm. And there have been so many wonderful couples who've come out of it. And people have also gotten a lot of television exposure So one of the things I know we worked really hard to do was try to weed out the people who might have just wanted to do this, not because they wanted to find a partner, but because they wanted the exposure and the, you know, influencer status and and all of that. And it would be really unfair to partner somebody who truly wanted to find love with somebody who just wanted to get famous. And so sometimes those people slip through the cracks and and there's only so much you can do to, as far as the the screening process. Um, But yes, people can lie on those measures. Um, to your other point about or question about attachment style, there are certain um, validated tools that we use to screen for attachment. So there are some measures. We reference some of them in the book, actually, that people can take on their on their own to see what their attachment style might be. Um, but we used only um, reliable, validated measures. Okay. It's a tough one. It's a tough one because um, we do an enormous amount of research on these people. Um, we have many interviews with them before they fill out of a, a, they do a 45 page questionnaire. We have two visits by outside psychological firms that are supposed mm-hmm. to do validated tests on these people that will pick up things like, um, narcissism attachment. Um, they do pick up a lot of things that we are shocked at on drug use, etc. They do kick out some people that we um, are glad they picked, they, they kicked out, um, that we didn't see in the earlier rounds of, of information, but, but to go back with, um, something Jessica said, one of the things you find out (laughs) and lawyers find this out, judges find this out is people lie extremely well. And if they're narcissistic, which is something we try and weed out, but is almost impossible to weed out because narcissism looks like being charming a lot of times. And of course we all like charming, warm people who tell us exactly what we want to hear because they're smart and they can read us well about what we need to hear. And we, we're getting better at that. But the fact is those are very hard people to know what's really in there. And as soon as it doesn't please them, they just turn and and Mm. are, are very harmful. So, we do as much as we possibly can, but it's imperfect because people are so complex and often just great at not just fooling us, but the outside two different psychiatric or psychological exams they have and everything else. We do do things that are more fact-based, like look for DWIs, uh, bankruptcies, any kind of legal problems. We look at their Facebook for years in the past because there's a good chance that they couldn't have thought of this 10 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, um, but looking it, at pictures yeah. of their exes. Yeah. <laughs> I think the third part of it also is sometimes being on the show is when you discover something about yourself, because I remember season one, Monet said she wanted a traditional guy 
and they gave her Vaughn, who was traditional. And then she realized, uh, I may not like this. So I think you yeah. think you know what you like, and that's the other part. And you get there and like, oh, okay, maybe I don't like that. So that's the other thing. Yeah, well, Imani is a great sure. example because she liked it in Daddy. He was a big military guy and forceful and very masculine. She, but when she got a husband who wanted her to cook and do all these things that were very traditionally went like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, everyone, we're going to continue this conversation on our Patreon, where we're going to talk a little bit more about maths. Can you tell us where we can find uh, your book and find you on social media? Yes. So our book is currently available for pre-order, but it will be officially available um, on February 13th. So it's released on February 13th, but you can order it now, pre-order it now from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all your major booksellers. um, And you can certainly find connections to it at both Pepper and my um, social media um, platforms. uh, And Instagram is probably the best one for me um, and probably Pepper too. Do you want to share your handle where the people can find you or? (laughs) (laughs) I I think mine is dr. So doctor dot Jessica Griffin and peppers is yeah. Dr. Underscore pepper underscore Schwartz, which is S C H W A R T Z. And we're both spelled that way to get it corrected. When I first started Instagram, I didn't know anything. (laughs) I think I spelled my last name. It's spelled correctly. Oh, is it good? (laughs) Somebody corrected it for me. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. (laughs) All right, guys. Tane and I read the book and we highly recommend it. It's a great read. So uh, you should go out and find it. And thank you so much to Dr. Pepper and Dr. Jessica for coming on our show. We really, really appreciate it. Yes, it was fun talking to you guys. Thank Thank you. you both so much for having us on. It's great. Thank you. It was, thank you. I appreciate it. And you had great questions, I must say. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Take care. All right. Bye. Bye, everyone. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.